Hey everybody, what's up? This is one of those episodes where I have to drop a disclaimer at the front of the show. In this episode, we interview Kelly Benaski. Kelly is a very plain-spoken Southern person, and by that I mean she uses a lot of colorful words and a lot of F-bombs. Also, her being a true crime author, she interviews a lot of killers and serial killers, and in some instances has even developed um, sort of a relationship with some of them. Some of the stuff we talk about in here will be disturbing. I know it disturbed me. At no point were we trying to judge her for anything that she says or does. We were just doing an interview and trying to put out a different kind of true crime show other than a lot of the ones that are already out there. So what I'm saying is, listeners beware, and please don't send us hate mail. Thanks a lot. On with the show. If you shoot somebody in the head with a 45 every time you kill somebody... It becomes like your fingerprint, see? But if you strangle one and stab another, and when you cut up, when you don't, then police don't know what to do. They think you're four different people. What they really are. What makes their job so much easier? A pattern. What they call a modus operandi. That's Latin. Bet you didn't know any Latin, did you? Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back. Let's get the main stuff out of the way right off the bat, because this is this is bummer news. It is with sadness that I have to say that our Gary Patterson, the uh, person we had on here a few episodes ago, Mysteries, Legends, Rock and Roll, has passed away. And both myself and Lobo just found out this morning. Yeah. And that really sucks. Brutal. It, it's, it's had me bummed out all day long. I don't know what the cause of his death was yet. And I did talk to him via Facebook about a week ago, and I was like, hey, you know, you were the most, he absolutely was the most requested return guest we have ever had. And everyone's like, you need to get him back on, you need him back on. I was like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've said it many times on the show. So I got in touch with him last week, and he's like, yeah, anytime, shoot me a date. And I said, well, I'll get a hold of you at the end of the week. I need to find some dates out here, because I've got a lot of crazy stuff going on in June. My daughter's graduating and everything. And I said, I'll shoot you back with a date, and uh, we'll do it, because I want to talk to him about the whole Paul is dead thing because he was the person that pretty much I believe he is the one that actually created that that whole legend about Paul McCartney supposedly being um, replaced by a doppelganger and he wrote yeah. a book about it and uh, uh. that's a that's a urban legend now one of the things that I wanted to, this is this sucks so bad because one of the things I was going to ask him was that that urban legend is kind of taken on a life of its own it's really a big thing like you can still to this day there's still people that are trying to prove that paul mccartney that the paul mccartney that's out there is not the real paul mccartney that paul mccartney died in a motorcycle accident or a car crash or something like that and there's people that have taken pictures of the earlobes and said here in this picture paul mccartney's earlobes are attached in this picture they're not so therefore this is not the real paul mccartney and uh there was an episode of The Simpsons that Paul McCartney was on. It was an episode where Lisa decides to become a vegan. Uh-huh. And at the end of the episode, they play a Beatles song, and you can hear Paul McCartney talking backwards. And apparently, if you take that and you play it forwards, it's Paul McCartney reading a recipe for a vegan lentil soup. And at the end of it, he says, by the way, I'm still alive. Yeah. So, you know, we had all these questions that we were uh, we were dying to ask him because when he was on here before, we could have probably had him on for another two hours if we weren't so worn out from talking to him. Because he hung out with us, I think, another half hour after we got done recording with him. He hung out with us for at least another half hour just off the air. Still. Oh yeah, easily another half an hour. Yeah. And uh, he had said he loved being on the show. He said he had a blast, and he said, "Well, now that I've made friends with his exact words were, now that I've made friends with you guys, I consider you guys friends." He's like, "I really want to do this again sometime," and. 
I mean, it was obvious when I was recording the show with him how how stoked I was to be talking to him because I was talking in a million miles an hour and. You know, you can tell when I'm really into a guest that we have him on the show. And he, yep. before we Sound even, like a poodle on crack. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> and I even I said that. I was like, you know, yep. I, I really wish I'd slowed down a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, I, I was just such a fan of the guy's work. And from the beginning, when we started recording the podcast, even beforehand, I'm like, this is a guy that I want to get on the show and talk to sometime. So uh, he's not with us anymore, you know, and... Uh, Hopefully, wherever you are, you actually are getting a chance to talk to uh, Morrison and Hendricks and uh, everybody from the 27 Club and find out what the hell actually did happen. But uh, moving on, tonight we've got serial killer author Kelly Banaski. I'm, I'm, Kelly, if you hear this, I apologize because we, I, I, we haven't spoken to her yet and I'm not entirely sure how her last name is pronounced. I think it's Banaski. I think it is Banaski as well. And uh, she is somebody that I've been talking to for months and months now about getting on the show. And uh, we finally, we were supposed to have her on last week, but a storm came through and knocked out all of her power. So we couldn't do it. That's why we threw the best of up there. And a couple hours later, after she said that, a storm hit us, which I think came from her part of the country. And it knocked our power off for about 20 minutes. So Mm. I I don't think she was pulling our leg. She's like, I'm losing power. My phone is almost dead and I have no power to recharge it. So I can't do the show. And I was like, ah. So we're going to have her on here in a minute to talk about her new book, Taking Tory, uh, Crimes of Canada. And she's also got a, a website called Women Condemned. And she's very much into true crime. And she has actually done face-to-face, I believe face-to-face, but she has done interviews with serial killers. Mm-hmm. So when she told me that, when I was we were going back and forth on Facebook, I'm like, wait a minute, you've actually spoken to these people. What's that like? And that was the genesis for how this came about. So we've been kicking it around and trying to get her on the show for a while now. So we're just going to jump into the episode. Uh, Also, you guys will hear we've got a a new, I don't want to say quite say sponsor, but we're running a promo for a company called CryptoCrate. Huh? Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. (laughs) I was going to say, this is the first time here. I haven't had the chance. Actually, I was going to bring that up before the show, but I I completely forgot because of all this stuff with with, uh, Gary going on. Boy, they're great. Um, Well, it's this company that, okay, you've got Geek Crate and Pet Crate and all these different, like Loot Crate and all these different crate companies. This guy uh, put together a crate of cryptological oriented stuff. You get T-shirts, books, oh, big photos. What it is, you know. <laughs> I just didn't know that we were. Yes, not quite a sponsor yet. I said, you know what? I, it's kind of cool what you do, and you know, if you put a promo together, I'll run the promo on the show. Yeah. And so he did. He put together a really cool promo. So we're going to run. It. Eventually, we're going to have the guy on here because he also has a podcast as well. But more cool. on that later. Not so, sponsored. Not sponsored. We are not getting anything from the guy at all. I wish we were. I wish we could get at least like at least one or one or two uh, loot crates from him or crypto yeah, crates from him. I want a Cadborosaurus. <laughs> I wish we could get like something from him. Yeah, it would be great. But he's not giving his. I'm just throwing it out there and putting the guy's ad out there and trying to give the guy a push along because, you know, we're we're like that. We're that's the kind of people we are. Having said all that, let's jump into our interview with Kelly and uh, let's see where this goes because I have no idea what's really going to go on with this. And uh, well, you've got questions. I've got questions. So well, you, I've got questions. You must have answers. <laughs> you've got questions. Hopefully, she has answers. So Yay. we will see you guys as always at the other side. Bye bye. All right, 
With us tonight, we have Kelly Banaski, who has informed me that I am pronouncing her name properly, even though I do want to throw the extra in in there and pronounce it as Banansky. Um, you are a true crime author, and you have written a book called Taking Tory, and a few other ones as well, and you have a, book, a blog called womencondemned.com. And um, so what, before I go rambling on too much, tell us about you, who you are, and how did you get involved with true crime? Um, I'm kind of just an average chick, man. I live in Tennessee. I have six kids. I just, um, Catholic. So I was pregnant all the time and <laughs> um, <laughs> found myself reading a lot of true crime, man. And it's just, I was fascinated with it. So I started, um, writing for my local newspaper, the, doing crime for the small town. I do the courts in crime and, uh, my very first case was I got interested in a woman named Tanya McCarter. She was a local lady that had evaded arrest since mm-hmm. since the 60s. And uh, they caught her like somewhere in Ohio living a normal life, but she'd been involved in some big drug deal, whether somebody got shot or liquor store owner or some, something, I forget. But um, they had found her and caught her, and I just that story fascinated me to death. So I wrote about it for the paper, and I contacted her because I wanted to know her side. Well, then after that, I mean, it just it just was the ball started rolling. I was just contacting everybody, any woman that I thought was interesting. I don't know why I started with women. I guess because I was pregnant and hormonal. Mm. But <laughs> that that's what sense. I I don't know. Does it in my head? It did. Sure. So I. I started just writing to all these outlaw women that I thought were badasses. And I was like, what happened? Why did you do that crazy shit? And they started telling me and it just started rolling from there. How many people do you think you've interviewed in all this time that you've been doing this? If you had to, you know, best guess it. I mean, is this like something you do three times a week or? Oh, I do this every day. Not at first. When I first started, I've been doing it about 20 years. And when I first started, it was a hobby. And last probably seven years, five, six, seven years, I've done it solely. So So it bit you. Yeah. (laughs) How many have I done over the years? Probably hundreds, maybe, maybe a thousand or two. Well, wow. Let's start at square one, because you've mentioned that you do seem to latch on to women, uh, you know, women for, for crime. And you yeah. have a blog called a blog called womencondemned.com. And this the, is... The Woman Condemned. Yeah, The Woman. I'm sorry, TheWomenCondemned.com. Uh-huh. And it is primarily a blog about women who are on death row for right. a majority of them, you know, are murderers. Uh, I, d- I think you have some serial killers on here as well, if I'm wrong. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here and there. <laughs> what um, tell us about the blog. What's the purpose of it, and what are you trying to achieve with it? Um, you know, it started out because I was doing the crime and courts reporting for my local newspaper, and it started out years ago as that, uh, what was going on in my little local area, and it was really kind of tongue in cheek, and I was really a kind about a lot of stuff, you know, just kind of sassy and funny dark humor type stuff. And then um, when I started getting more replies from women on death row, people were asking me about it. And I didn't, you know, I, I didn't go out there and tell everybody I was doing it because I, I really thought people would think I was weird. And I was right. 
but <laughs> that's okay. Is that weird? But <laughs> but it, I just I wanted to know so bad, you know, from what they were thinking, and I knew nobody else could tell me but that one person. So and then people started asking me, well, what did she say? You know, people that were close to me, and then you know, like I. Uh, friends of mine would refer me to other people and they would ask and I thought well so I started putting it on the blog and then that's when I worked with a with a um I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name of the organization but it's a pro-inmate organization and educational they send out newsletters and give um classes free correspondence classes and stuff and I had worked with them and started the inmates that I knew on death row I hooked them up with it and then they wanted more things so I was searching out other things for free books and religious classes and you know just anything that was free for inmates so I after I started doing that I was just getting more and more inmates just out of the blue just complete you know no one I'd even contacted they were just writing me asking me for stuff so I, I just started putting all that on the blog and then slowly 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 it just I started getting interview requests and more and more people were linking to it and you know it's been on the Huffington Post it's been in USA Today it's been mentioned everywhere not necessarily me but mm -hmm. <laughs> the blog has been mentioned and um I do a lot of stuff that others other prison blogs don't do especially you know people want to say I'm pro inmate and it's not that I'm pro inmate it's just that I think everybody's got it in them. You know, I don't think murderers are necessarily one-of-a-kind people. I think everybody really has it in them. If you, anybody's, anybody could kill. I truly believe that. Not everybody You're absolutely does. right. We're but animals. That's true. I'm going to ask you two extreme questions here. Of all Yay. the people that you have, this has been one you've asked many times, I'm sure. So I apologize for asking you a boring question. You've probably been asked. <laughs> um, you're probably going to get a lot of those. And though I try not to ask repeat questions, I, some of this stuff I just have to ask because I'm the every guy. You know, we're, we're the every guys. And we, you know, the people are listening and say, why did you ask him that? Anyways, I'm back. <laughs> of, all well, the I'm people, <laughs> of all the people that you've talked to, tell me about the ones that come across to you as innocent and the ones that you're trying to fight for the innocence of? Uh, Kimberly Cargill. Mm -hmm. She's in Texas on death row. First glance at her case, everybody wants to say, oh, shit, the bed, she did it. You know, I mean, just the obvious facts of her case, it looks really, really bad for this lady. But, like, when you look into her case and I know for a fact this is one lady that will get off death row eventually. It'll be another Michelle Byram case where she's on there 17 years and they half kill her with cancer before they let her out. But she will eventually get out. I don't know if you're familiar with the case, but she was, uh, she's Texas mom and she was a shitty mom and she was a, a crappy wife and she cheated on everybody and had, a, you know, she didn't take care of her kids. She'd been took to court a million times and she, you know, she was basically not that great of a gal. Okay, so so but, far her record sounds fantastic. <laughs> what what, what well, makes you what makes you think that, that she's innocent? That doesn't make you a killer, though. Yeah, because, true. Uh, Being a bad person doesn't make you a murderer. No, I know a lot of shitty people, and they're you know nobody. But she had this babysitter that was um, mentally slow, and um, they had called the she was losing her kids. They called the babysitter in to testify against her in court. So the night before, she calls the babysitter and says, I'm going to take you out to dinner. 
So she comes and picks her up, takes her out to dinner, and she dies while they're out to dinner. Well, Kimberly pulled over on the side of the road and set her on fire. Oh, oh dear. Okay, she said that the girl had a seizure and died, and that she had such a bad reputation and so much was going on, she panicked because she knew she was going to get accused of killing her, so she tried to burn her. Mm-hmm. Granted, this is the dumbest stupidest shit you've ever heard in your life but also i can half ass see her point of view you know but what makes me believe she's telling the truth is her writ of habeas if you look what the doctors have said and what the testimony in court said everyone even the people that testified for the defense said that this girl under duress under any sort of nervous situation would have seizures and fall out. It happened time and time again. She'd almost died from it several times. The biopsy said she did indeed have some sort of episode that caused her death. She did not die by strangulation. She did not die by any sort of blunt force trauma. She did not die by, you know, any sort of heinous way. So the but, probably, if that's the case, the most they would be able to charge her with would probably be a mutilation of a body, I would assume. Well, they charged her with killing her, and she's on death row. Yeah. But her is she she her appeal has been granted, mm-hmm. and I mean, I I do believe she's going to get out one day. But you know, she's not going to win Mother of the Year award, or you know, she's <laughs> she's That's pretty just... screwed no matter which way it goes. But she didn't kill this lady. I'm yeah. I'm pretty sure of it, in my opinion. But you know, there's always that off chance she's you know fed me a line too, which I have to deal with that every day. So yeah, but you know what? The coroner's report would be able to tell if... if uh, that is right. If, That's the only thing that makes me believe her was when she sent me that. I think it's her writ of habeas. And I mean, it's like right in like the first paragraph, the first writ. I can't, I'm not sure what they call that, but it says right there, you know, she did, did not, not die of any heinous circumstances. It was par for the course, according to what her previous medical records had stated. And that's the only reason I believe it. And people give me up and down the road about this lady. Well, if you knew her, I've had her ex-husbands, and there are plenty of them. Call me up. Do you know how she did with all these kids? And but No, I don't, nor do I give a shit. I mean, all I care about is the woman is innocent. Yeah, that doesn't make someone a murderer. You can be a shitty person. That doesn't make you a murderer. I mean, granted, she desecrated a corpse, but, I mean, still. Right? Oh, well. She's not, you know, she's not going to bake anybody cookies or nothing, but what are you going to do? She's still innocent. you got to let her out. Yeah. Well, I mean, she, not at least, at the very least, not for murder. So, I mean, yeah. Well, you got to let her off death row is what I'm, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. She, something's got to happen there, and it will. I'm fully, I'm, I'm really, uh, really believing that. How long her, has she been in? Not long, I'm thinking, oh. 2005, maybe Oh, still, she'll still get time served if they drop it or they, get, you know, bring it down even if she gets uh-huh. desecration of a corpse she's she's already going to get time served yeah but i worry wow. about her she tells me the craziest stories that woman she's in prison with a darley routier really she says darley runs that prison like damn orange is the new black she runs all this shit you can't take a oh crap in that God. prison without darley routier telling you you can or you cannot Jesus Christ. I mean, and she's sometimes she's afraid to write to me. She's like, Darley does this, Darley does that. You know, she bullies them, and everybody's got to step in line. You're, you're either with Darley or you're against her. That's not and, someone you, know, you want to be against. 
No. And, you know, I always believed in her, too. And that's the fact. I truly believe that Darlie was innocent because of all the extraneous information in that case that's never been figured out. But yeah. when I started hearing, and it's not just Kim that tells me this stuff, it's other inmates in that prison have told me that Darlie is woody woody. I mean, you don't want to run up against her. No, I would say no. But you got to you got to look at the fact too that someone that's been in and and served the time there, it's gonna prison you know, I change. Have of that. I have so. thought of that, but <laughs> I, it it did change my mind though that I don't know. She's such a damn. I don't know. I thought, man, she's manipulated. But then, yeah, that did cross my mind. She's been in there a while. She's probably learned how to. That's what you got to do to survive. That's true. I mean, it does change you. Now, what just you know to change it up a little bit? Uh, have you run into anybody that you said, "Yep, this person is." dead to rights they're guilty and there's no way around it there's too much evidence you know we spoke about someone that you you know believe is not guilty and considering the information that's available in the coroner's report that would point to that that she's not guilty of murder but have you run into somebody that was that that you spoke to that you're like yep they're here and they should be now do you mean who admitted it and i agreed or who said they were innocent and i disagreed Yes, that said they were innocent, and you completely disagree. Yes. Um, Can, there's Lamericus Davidson in Nashville. He's guilty of um, what they call the Knoxville murders. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with that case, but it's... I am, but well you can yeah. expound on it a little bit for okay. our listeners. He and his brother... And some other people, another woman, and I think two other guys um, carjacked a, a car with um, a girl and a boy in it and just totally raped and murdered them in the most heinous, disgusting, vile ways humanly possible. That was one case that really messed with me a while, and it's one that I'm currently working on and is very hard. Lamericus is a super hard guy to deal with. He's super manipulative. He's an arrogant bastard. He is, he's so arrogant, dude. Oh. Like, as soon as he found out I was a girl, because Kelly, you know, who knows? Could be a boy, could be yeah. a girl, whatever. Oh, I'm sure he pulled that male chauvinistic nonsense. Oh. No, 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 no. Now, I got one that's a fucking chauvin. Oh, God, I forgot to ask if I can curse you, like that. By all means. Oh, go right ahead. <laughs> Such a cursor, you know? No, but, you can't, uh, but since you don't, no, no, go right ahead. We're not, we're, right? we're cool with it. We're Damn totally it. fine. We're cool with it. <laughs> I just forgot where I was going with that now. Oh, arrogant, egotistical guy. Yes. yes. No, I've got a couple that are egotistical, misogynistic fucktards, but Lamericus, no, he's smooth as really? house, baby. Yes. Soon as he found out, yeah. As soon as he found out I was a girl, he was like, "Well, I knew that you were a girl because of your handwriting, and I know you must be beautiful because it's so, you know." beautiful script and long and lean letters and i was like you got to be fucking kidding me say <laughs> <laughs> my first rodeo son that is oh. exactly what i thought this ain't my first rodeo well then i told him when i introduced myself i said look i'm trying to write a book about you you know this is my name this is what i do well then he had somebody look me up and seen yeah. some pictures of me and then he was like hey baby you know <laughs> Why don't you come visit me and we'll talk about oh, a book. Oh man, you know like, I'll get to that. <laughs> that bring, there's so many questions here in regards to that. You know what? <laughs> to hell with it. Let's let's do it now. Since you since you've interviewed all these people, how many of these people have you sat down face to face with? Probably <laughs> ten, maybe. 
when they, mostly when, it's letters and phone calls. Yeah. Aren't you worried about them finding you? Oh if they God, get I get out? that question all the time. No, they're on death row. They're never getting out. Yeah, but they know people. <laughs> you know, they know people on the outside. Yeah, all the time. Ain't nobody worried about me. Seriously, like why? I've had death threats before. Yeah, but, that but was, you've got a family and you've got kids. And well, I'm weird. I'd be like, okay, what about my kids? You know. I have. I've had people threaten my daughters before. There's a dude um, in Alaska named Josh Wade. He's a serial killer of women. Mm-hmm. I'm He's familiar not. with Wade. <laughs> yeah. Well, he now he right there. That's a, that's another one right there. He's Mr. Smooth Talker. He thinks he's going to talk everyone. Really? Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Jeez. He is right. He he counts on that. He banks on that. Gotcha. But um, we got we got actually kind of friendly there for a little while where he was sending me artwork and I want you to have this and blah 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 one of these days I'll get you to write a book about me and here's the truth but then I started noticing that all of his truths like were different every letter was here's the real truth and it was different it was different it was different and I was like dude please but I just kept writing because I wanted to know you know if any of the letters were going to match up if anything was going to be true or what, you know, maybe, who knows? I don't know. I, I just kept writing to him. Well, eventually I did a um, YouTube video one time where I showed some of his artwork and talked about his, his, um, his latest appeal. Now, mind you, I said nothing good nor bad about the man. Mm-hmm. I just said, this is the letter I got. This is what's going on with him now. Ta-da. He sent me a threatening letter like, don't think because I'm in Alaska, I don't know where the hell you are, and gave me like GPS coordinates to where my house was at. He said, I don't, are you fucking kidding me? He called me Miss YouTube star, Miss Social Media star, all this shit. He must have sent me 10 letters after that, each one another threat. And I never got it. I never got it. I was like, what did I do wrong? I didn't even say nothing bad. Well, it's because you're getting the recognition that he's he's yearning for. Maybe, but about You're a week dealing after, with a sociopath. Right. So, about a week I mean, after that, this woman emails me, or I think she Facebook messaged me. And uh, she said something. It was on the Woman Condemned Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And it was on a post about Josh. And she said something really extravagant, like she was going to cut my head off and feed, oh, it, feed it to my children or, and all, all, just all kind of shit. And then she was like, you stay away from Josh. Don't you never write him again? You know exactly what you're talking about. Blah, 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 blah. <coughs> Excuse me. So I thought, well, enough of that. So I printed all that out and I got all of his letters together where he threatened me and I sent them all to the warden and I never heard from him again. Yeah. You know why? Cause he's in a hole somewhere now. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, if you, <laughs> That's the last place you want to be. You're you're outside the frontier at that point. <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't ever really give a shit when they, you know, they threaten me and everybody's like, "Aren't you scared?" Uh huh. Now with wow. this Knoxville case with Lamericus, mm-hmm. I did get a bit wigged out because he had a whole army of like street thug women. Just oh God. <laughs> email after email, and each one had a different name. It was like Little Tiger and massive g you know just like every single one but they're keyboard warriors yes and they were like bitch you better leave him alone i don't you know we know one of them said um you're fixing to get a." this was on the blog it said you're fixing to get a cease and assist i said well damn it i need a cease and assist i need all the assist (laughs) and she talking about cease and desist i don't need none of that 
Oh my oh, God, that's nightmares. I've learned not to engage, but sometimes they just make it too hard. Yeah, I can imagine it would be that. So let me throw you a, a hardball here. You spoke yeah. with us before we started recording about Ramirez. Yeah, yeah. And you spoke with him. I want to know what you know about him because he fascinates me. Was that in person or by phone? It was only by phone, and the weekend he died was the weekend I was supposed to go up there. He wanted to marry me. You know, it's really really for me to talk about Ramirez. It really is because people Uh, get so wigged out. Why? Trust me, with our our listeners, you got nothing uh, to fear. (laughs) Because, like... Try to imagine it like this, like, even though you can't, you won't be able to, but like, Try me. you meet somebody and you know, they're, they've done a heinous, horrible thing, you know, okay. So you meet Richard Ramirez, but then you are friends with him for so long and not necessarily friends, but just like pen pals for so long. And then, you, you know, the relationship just goes and goes and then you talk and talk and then you're on the phone for, you know, days and days for hours at a time. And then, you know, suddenly he's not Richard Ramirez. He's Rick. And, you know, he didn't do all that shit. You know, some people can't block that kind of stuff out. But somehow I was able to with him. And don't ask me how. And I'm not exactly proud of it. But. Well, there's no, I, there's nothing to really be ashamed of with that. I mean, you I'm got not to know. Of it either, but I'm not, okay. you know, I'm not trying to toot my horn and say, you know, I, I know Richard Ramirez, but yeah, but I'm not did. really ashamed of it. Yeah, <laughs> but I did. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's it's not. This may sound odd, but human beings have a way of car- compartmentalizing things, and That's you can. I have friends that are bad people. They're bad people. But I know them from the experiences I've had with them. I know they're bad people. I know they have bodies on their notches. Mm-hmm. But they're my friends. I know them. Yeah. So Richard actually wrote to me. I did not initiate that. Really? Yeah. How did that go down? He sent me a letter, and it said, um, I heard you write to inmates. And then he sent me, and that's all it said, basically. And then with he said, if you don't mind... Um, writing to me, let's start with these questions. And then, like, he was infamous for this. Anybody that knew him well will tell you this. His letters were always on, like, little scraps of paper, and you had to, like, figure out which paper came after the first one because he never would number them. And you just had to kind of, like, match up the the last sentence with the next sentence and hope you figured out the letter. And they were always on, like, Either a huge, gigantic piece of paper and then four little papers or like one long strip of toilet paper and a, like a something ripped off the back of a spiral notebook or something. I mean, it was always just the weirdest fucking stationery ever. But he, <laughs> that's how it started. He said, you know, I heard you write to inmates. Um, if you don't mind, you know, we can we can start writing. Let's start with these questions. And then there was like fucking 20 pieces of scrap paper and each of them had a shit ton of questions on it the most retarded shit you can think of what's in your refrigerator right now who'd you go to prom with how old were you when you had your first kiss um what's in your you know top drawer do you keep your do you hang up your pants or do you fold them and put them in the drawer do you sleep with two pillows or one do you sleep with a pillow in the summer or in a cover in the summer 
how often do you mow your grass? You know, do you have flowers in your yard? Do you got it? Just creepy anyway. as hell. <laughs> See now, you guys are both going. This is creepy. Those are questions that well, I he's trying to asked. live vicariously. I, I or trying to get into every your house, single so. one of them, and then I took pictures of the inside of my underwear drawer and sent it to him, and the inside of my refrigerator and sent it to him. Why would you do That's that? Cool. Ah, why you're answering the question? I, wow. I, it no, I'm not faulting I mean, you. I'm just curious. This is a curiosity <laughs> thing. I'm not. I'm not jumping on your case or you know jumping down your throat. It's I, just I a complete curiosity. I don't know why, because he asked. I guess. <sighs> and I just. I don't know what's wrong with him looking in my refrigerator. Oh, well, you know what he's eating. <laughs> that food <laughs> there is atrocious. In, right. There was nothing in my underwear drawer but some underwear and maybe some canceled checks. You know. Do you realize, like, the stuff, that, this is going to go off into a different direction I don't want to go into, but the stuff that you've got, I mean, there's that uh, there's that aftermarket, that market for people who buy things like that. I mean, you could you could probably make a good chunk of change off of some of this stuff by selling it. I, I've sold a couple of his letters when he was living, and I wish I'd never done it. I actually have a really good friend that runs one of those murder rebellious hmm. sites. And I give him a lot of things. Sometimes inmates will give me things specifically to give him so that I have the money to buy yarn or origami paper or whatever they need. That's awesome. So to, to sidetrack a little bit, have the families of the victims ever contacted you? Have you ever had any kind of a relationship with the families of the victims? Um, you know, I get asked that a lot. and it's I'm kind sorry. Of a, <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's touchy for me because... I hate, I truly, truly hate, listen to me now, I truly hate when people think because I do what I do, I have no compassion or sympathy for the victims because I do, I really do. Nothing about what I'm doing is in, is in disrespect to the victims at all. In any way, my heart goes out to these people and I can't tell you how many tears I've cried and how upset I've been and how many, you know, emotional breakdowns I've had over researching some of this crowd. None See, of it. The, the two are not mutually exclusive. That's like saying somebody that does autopsies that, has no though. respect for human life. They're doing people a job. Automatically people will think that. Automatically yeah. people want to jump down my throat for that. My brain must be wired wrong. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but no, they're not mutually exclusive, and I do have a lot of respect for the victims. And now I can't remember the original question. What was it? Just you know, if you had contact with with the families of some of these, and oh, how, the how has that some so, of this no, gone? You know, will not. Most of the time, families will not. Now, I've had, I've had inmates' families get pissed off at me from time to time, but. No victims' families have ever given me hell. Mm -hmm. um, I've had some ask me for help, but they didn't want me to make it public. But and and like um, the new book I'm working on now, Voices from Death Row, I'm searching desperately for one of the victims. <clears throat> excuse me, so I can donate some money to her cause. She survived the hellacious ordeal. But you know, yeah, victims' families—they don't—they don't approach me. They don't give me any problem. But they—I guess they think I'm unapproachable. Maybe I don't know. Have you donated a lot to other victims' families before? I do. Every single book I write, I donate to whatever you know victim cause there is. And if there is no cause, I will try my hardest to find those people. 
a lot of times they will not return my, you know, calls or emails because I'm a writer. And, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, <laughs> do my part and help out. But I understand because, you know, people a lot of times don't want to talk to reporters and crime writers. Well, they're probably under the assumption that you're going to try and get information from the victim's standpoint and they just don't want to relive it, which is not what you're doing. But oh, I mean, no, I guess that- I can understand. Sure, yeah, I can understand it. And that's something I'm working on. I work on that with every book, everything I do. I try to make it not look so much, you know, like I am pro-inmate because I'm not. I'm just pro-human. I just, I believe that, you know, even the worst of us is still human. And we can't keep treating people in prison like this or they're just going to keep being full of people. You know know what? I was going to ask you a question, but... Considering that you just brought that up, you you're a supporter of prison reform. Yes, sir. And Ro, I, I don't mean to step on your toe. No, go right ahead. But go fine. You're fine. This expound on that. I mean, I, I I from my viewpoint, you can't fix a broken tool with a broken tool, and that's the way I see the prison system now. There is no no one's being rehabilitated. No one's the way it stands right now. We put people in that are broken, and they come out worse than when they went in if they get out. Exactly it's right. like a meat factory. That's exactly right. And in my new book, I'm in the middle of writing right now. It's Voices from Death Row. One of my chapters is a man named Joseph Edward Duncan III. He's mm-hmm. a hideous pedophile, yeah. murderer, serial murderer. And he is like an open book. He just, you know, he admits everything he does. He's, he's apologetic, but... You know, the the thing about him is he's so I wanna say he's apologetic and take you know, and takes you know, responsibility for what he's done, but it's it's kind of an odd way for people to hear it, although I think in his heart he means well, it comes out so strange because he feels like <clears throat> pedophilia is normal yeah. and that it's our society. And he has done a lot of research and he can cite studies to back himself up. And, you know, he, he tries really hard. He's trying to make a point, you know, we're, we're doing this wrong. And, you know, there's all these studies that say if you don't make a big deal out of childhood trauma, it doesn't become a big deal. And a, oh, a lot man. of it is the way we, way we deal with things and blah, blah, blah. And, he, you know, he cites all these studies that back up his point. But the point, you know, is still... You know, and I and he was raped so many times as a child, and I, you know, he's had such a hideous childhood. And I said, "Do you think any of that had to do with how you turned out?" And he said, "No." He said, "It really, it wasn't that hideous because it happens to a lot of people." And he mm-hmm. said, "Even," and he said, "Even as I pointed out to him, it happens to a lot of people, and nobody else went and raped and killed like he did." Right. So he said, "You see, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm making a non-point because even though he had a hideous childhood, it didn't make him what it is." society did because he had these drives and society made it wrong and then punished him when he was a child for homosexual behavior and then <clears throat> you know it just got worse and worse and yeah he's he he has a lot of uh he has a lot of correlation with uh albert fish true he's got shades of carl pan's ram he's He's got a lot. I mean, even Andre Chikatilo. I mean, he, he true. All, all yeah. same shades, but I mean, again, to drive the point it's home, all, all the same. Yeah, 
Yeah, people have horrible, terrible things happen to them, and they don't become serial right. killers. I pointed or... out to him, and he he said, you know, just like you said, yes, Kelly, this all happens, and and people don't do it, but I did, so you know. But uh, I wish he he, makes... I hope he's looking at the research of the prefrontal cortex too, because there's a lot now about that. I pointed it... out to him. I mean, okay, the inhibition well, centers, and the, I mean, it's there. There's, there, it's there. The facts are there. It's, pro, it's solid. There, we have MRIs, we have brain scans, we have CAT scans, uh, autopsy reports mm-hmm. of, of I'm, past I'm, I'm, killers. He's he's hard. I'm in the middle of back and forth with him right now, and he's he's he talks in circles, but you know, he's hard. He's really hard. But yeah. did you want to know anything else about Richard <laughs> Ramirez? Hey. I mean, it's 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 a it's a it's a subject that's close to you, and I don't want to push you too far if you don't you feel comfortable that. talking about it. I would not want that to happen. I, I, I mean, it's not that I don't feel comfortable. It's just I know how people react to it because I had that fondness for him. And, I mean, you know, again, I mean, it's the wrong way. Yeah, but I just hope people understand. You know after you speak with someone for so long, like you said, you sort of compartmentalize the hideous and it's, it's, it's in human nature to do weird. that. He became less weird over the years. Oh, and sure, I took, because he opened up. Right. I took that to be like his defense mechanism. Cause I'm sure the first people, you know, when you would first start to write to him, a lot of them would do it only for shits and giggles and then never speak yeah. to him again. So I think sure. a lot of it was that I'll see you in Disneyland persona. He was, you know, he wanted to be for everybody. Yeah, but, how, but much, yeah. Doesn't, how much of that is just manipulation of you? You know, how much of that is part of, of, part of what he's trying to pull off to make you buy into that? I'm not sure what you're asking. Is that the plan to get you to to warm up to him to, you know, to push all that other stuff aside to, you know, to try to get inside your head or something? I'm sure. But to what end? I mean, he had groupies out the ass. He didn't need another one. And see, that's the thing, though. You (laughs) when you if you go into something and it's 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 going to come come out, it's going to come out however it comes out. And I'm not I'm unapologetic about it. Yeah. The when. Through years of active addiction, I've been clean. Next mo- next month will be 22 years. Wow. But when you talk to people, in the beginning, there's shock value, and you test people to see whether or not they're going to be genuine. Once you get past that point where you can realize that that person is not here to play you, you start to open up more, and then people got to get to see the real person behind you. I agree. But there's a defense yeah. mechanism that's put out there to say the most outlandish, whacked out shit to see who. It's like when you yeah, throw something at the wall, it's exactly, see what yeah. sticks. Yeah, I do. I believe that because it took a good year, and then his letters suddenly were full sentences and made sense, and you know the paragraphs all matched, and you know you could. It was a regular letter after a while. I, can, I, and, I mean, I can understand it. I can understand why he would do that. Everything. Yeah, I was in the middle of a divorce. And we talked about that, and he helped me through that. We talked. He would help me come up with article ideas. You know, we talked that. We talked about his health a little bit. I'm not holding it against you, but I can't relate. So, <laughs> it's it's such an alien. It's such an alien thing for me to try to uh, to try to put it that way. And I'm sure there's people out there right now, probably ripping their heart, listening to this, going, "What?" But you know, it, yeah, but there's also going to be a balance of those people that are like, "I understand." 
Well, like I said I before the show, so. I mean, I'm, I'm not having you on here to belittle you or, or, or anything like that at all. It's more of an educational it's kind of thing. The first time he called me was on Easter Sunday. Really? <laughs> yeah, like 2008, 2009, something like that. Wow. I was outside with my kids hunting eggs and I got a prison call. I didn't know who it was. One of a billion, I hell, I don't know. And I answered it and he, he said, Hello, hey. I said, hey, who is this? He said, it's Rick. I said, is who? He said, Richard Ramirez. I said, shit the bed. I cannot believe it. <laughs> we started, he laughed. I laughed. And we started just kind of talking. Did you tape any of these conversations or anything? No, uh-uh. Hmm. I should have. I kick myself in the ass for that every day. Hindsight's twenty twenty at this point. True. You know? Nobody ever believes me anyway. Hell, I wrote to Drew Peterson for a good two years. Then really? One day, oh, yeah. <laughs> he was not a, he wasn't a flirt or anything. I thought he'd be a big womanizer. He wasn't. And he was, that was during my divorce, too. And he was like, don't worry about it, girl. Get out there. Work hard. You know, he was like a dad. He's very supportive. Wow. But um, one, one day I get a letter from him and I open it up and it's like, dear Nancy, I really want to fuck your brains out. I can't wait till we get all this figured out. Did you bribe the cop yet? Did he take the money? Have you talked to the judge? I mean, all this shit. And I was like, holy hell. So I called the police in Illinois. And they're like, uh-huh. All right. I was like, no, for reals. You know, I got this letter. Y'all might want to take it out. And they're like, ah, oh, he's full of shit. Whatever. Let me ask you this question. then. Since you've talked to... Both female killers, I'm assuming you've talked to female serial killers as well, and male killers. How can I put this? Well, I, I'll ask you basically straight out, and then we'll try to go from there. What are, If you noticed a difference between the minds of female serial killers and the minds of male serial killers about how they interact with you, what they say, uh, the motivations oh, behind them, what are, what, are those, what, are those, what are the differences? Well, women are, are really indignant because, well, most of the time when women kill, it's because you know, they got cheated on or somebody screwed with their kids or, you know, it's it's something close to home when women kill. So they're usually pissed. They're usually indignant and mad they're there and mad nobody believes them, mad nobody's on their side or, you know, whatever. And when they write to me, they, you know, they want they want some another woman to talk to. And then they look for different things also. They look for, you know, a soda to cry on. They want you to hear about their their appeals and their court cases and and they want to talk about home stuff. You know, they miss their kids. They want to talk about my kids and, and you know, school and what I what I made for dinner and in my gardening and stuff like that. Where men are, I hate to, you know, be a bitch, but men are just men no matter what. And they're always like, you are so pretty. You know, it doesn't Pussy. matter. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. And you want to talk about their cases and they're like, yeah, that's some shit. I got railroaded, whatever, you know. They don't ever really want to talk about their cases unless they're really new. If they're new, really new on the road, then they're like, this is happening to me. Ah! And they want to tell you all about their case. But if it's somebody that's been there a while, they don't care. Hmm. But I tell you, I've tried and tried and tried and tried to get Kenneth Bianchi and he will not write to me. Oh, but that's going to be a tough nut to crack. He plays head games with me. I've sent him my card, my, my inmate liaison card, and a card about the blog, and I tell about all the free stuff I can get for him and stuff. And every time I do it, he keeps my pictures and sends the the information to other inmates. And then I got these fucking whacked out other inmates up there writing me, Ken gave me this information. I'm like, ooh, you jerk. 
So I keep writing him going, stop keeping my pictures. And the last time I said, if you'll just write me back, I'll send you an extra picture. <laughs> if you'll just please write me back. But he will not. I would so like to get into his head. I mean, he had all those, like, what he claimed to be, have multiple personalities. And then, you know, Angelo Bonanno. And he, mm-hmm. I'd like to know all about that whole relationship. Because supposedly he had been abused by him. And, well, but that's a nut I'll never crack, yeah. That's going to be tough. I mean, I don't say never, but <laughs> you may be able to get a hook in there at some point. <laughs> he plays head games with me. The day. Uh, that uh, actually, I'm not really, uh, I'm not really shocked at that at all. He's but, like, um, oh, it's just a hooker on Sunset Strip. Oh, brother! <laughs> <laughs> tell us a story, Ranger Chad. Oh, okay. I could tell you about the time I locked eyes with Sasquatch, or about my brush with the elusive Chupacabra. Then there was that encounter with the Mothman. Yeah, tell us about the Mothman. Of course, I once saw a lake monster and a sea monster on the same day. Wow! That's not even taking all the ghosts, aliens, and UFOs into account. You've seen all that as a park ranger? <laughs> no, son. Those are the creatures I've encountered in my cryptid crate. What's a cryptid crate? Cryptid Crate is a monthly subscription box that arrives on your doorstep each and every month. It's filled with various cryptozoology and paranormal themed items such as t-shirts, hats, art, media, and other collectibles. I want a Cryptid Crate. Yeah, I want one too. You can get yours by visiting www.cryptidcrate.com. Sign up is quick and easy and shipping is always free. I can't wait to get my Cryptid Crate, but for now, how about that story? Um, Talk to us, uh... Talk to us about the monster. Ah, uh, Warnos. That poor girl. I, I mean, it's terrible. She had a yes. hard life. She did have a hard life. A hard I life. I accidentally got to talk to her. In my younger days, I was kind of a biker chick there for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did some photo shoots for different magazines and stuff. Well, I was in the... Daytona Beach in a bar and ran into her. Really? Yeah. Well, no shit. Two, three days later, she was wild, crazy. It, not near as ugly as she looks in, in the, all of her photos. She was really. Yeah, her mugshots are terrible. She was a pretty woman. She was not bad looking. She was a little haughty, and everybody wanted to talk to her, but she bummed from everybody. I remember that. She, everybody gave her cigarettes. Everybody bought her beers. She was really funny. We chit chatted. <laughs> well, I, a couple, two or three years later, I'm watching the news, and what the hell? I see Eileen Warnos done killed some people. So I waited. I tried to get her in county jail, and I couldn't. And I waited till she got in the pen, and I wrote to her and reminded her who I was, and she remembered me. But I questioned that because she was so fucking drunk. And how many tourists could she probably meet in a year, you know, probably tons and tons. But she said she remembered me, and she remembered my glasses, so I think she did. Hmm. And we wrote back and forth for not long, maybe a month, and then I never heard from her again. I tried to send her stuff. I sent her money and stuff, but I don't know if she got it or what happened, but yeah. She's an interesting case. So did you yes, talk to her about the case after she got caught? You know, what you know, what happened? Um, I tried or? to. I tried to, but I couldn't really make heads or tails out of what she was saying because I said, um, 
I know you had it hard out there, you know. She obviously had it hard because she was begging, you know, for stuff. And I was like, I know you had it hard. And, you know, did I, is all that true? Did everything happen? And mind you, this was early in my career. I didn't even know anybody at this point. And uh, I said, is everything true? And she said, it's as true as was, was The Wizard of Oz. It's as true as that Wizard of Oz book. Oof. And I said, well, so that... So you didn't do it. And she said, oh, I did it. Yeah, they were trying to write me. And I was like, what? Yeah, so, I mean, it was just really difficult, difficult to deal with. <clears throat> really hard. Not wow. nothing that I, I mean, yeah, it that was just mind-boggling stuff right there. And especially, you know, as her case went on and on, it broke my heart because she was really a nice lady. She but, got, she got a, ugh. I mean, a, a lot of people, a lot of people that are interested on the surface level of her story, only dive deep enough into what popular culture has put out there for information. They don't really want to or can't bring themselves. I, I have friends that are also interested in true crime, not to the degree of serial killers that I am, but. Um, I think they get to a point where if they if they start looking at this person with compassion, then I think they're afraid that they'll start okaying the behavior. Yeah, where, I, I see that a lot too. More people will say that. It's not a matter of okaying for me, it's not a matter of okaying the behavior. It's wanting to know the whole story. I mean a human animal right. in, in, intrigues me to no end. Yeah, just I mean, the, the, behavior, the whys behind the behavior. Yeah, that's what yeah. I get at. You know, I mean, my I have friends that were brutally just abused as children that you would never be able to tell. They they smile, they're happy, they're they're good people. Mm-hmm. And then I have friends that live the idealistic life that are just they're pricks. They're horrible to people. They do rotten things. And I'm like, okay, what? (laughs) I think it has a little bit to do with entitlement and how people fall into line in that particular bracket. Mm -hmm. And then you have people that don't have the social inhibitions, like your serial killers, like your sociopaths, like your pedophiles, that they they don't match up to any of the algorithms that should be there. And it's it's fascinating to me because the way they should be and the way they are and what their past says, you can see a line and at yes. points it's broken, but you can still mm-hmm. see that line. And then you see these quote-unquote normal people in walk-a-day life that are like, okay, you're broken. There's no line. What the hell happened to you? Right, yeah. Well, so you had mentioned we were talking online and um... – You'd brought up, you'd talking on the show that you yourself had an interesting childhood where you were moving around all the time and you had somebody in the family that was wanted by the authorities or something like that. Um, I did. <laughs> I mean, are you okay to talk about that? Or <laughs> is, Oh, sure. Okay. It's well known around here. Okay. Um, my dad was a convicted felon and most of my childhood a fugitive. He had a... I didn't know most of what he did until I was an adult, but he had robbed some banks and um, was good at, like, 
figuring out where high stakes backroom po- poker gangs were and always was running from the wrong people. So every year in my life, I was in a different state in a different school. And, you know, it seemed normal to me. Although when I got to be about third or fourth grade, I noticed that the other kids all, you know, they'd all been around for a second and knew each other and, you know, had been there. And that's when I started noticing, well, hey, why don't we ever stay in one place at one time, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I started, I don't know, it must have been 12 or 13. No, I was younger than that. I was probably about 11. When I figured out my dad was hauling uh, marijuana across the border from Mexico, we had this <laughs> great, big, huge Mexican man we call Uncle Ralph. And they would come in every... My dad was a long-haul truck driver for a little while, and he'd come in in the middle of the night, you know, and they'd all be in the garage in the basement. And one day, my brother and I went downstairs when we weren't supposed to be down there, and they had all these marijuana plants hanging upside down, and it looked like a jungle in there. So we were like, cool! So we go <laughs> running through there, you know. We were like, this is fucking awesome. We were playing hide-and-seek and come out. Well, then we hear the car pull up, and we go running back up the stairs, and we're kind of just, dun, 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 you know, watching TV and whatever. My dad's like, who was downstairs? Nobody, nobody was downstairs. He drags us both in the bathroom and puts us in front of the mirror, and we had, like, pot leaves stuck all over us in our hair, <laughs> stuck to our clothes, everything. He was like, you stay out of there. Don't you never go down there. And he was like, okay. But after that, I was like, yeah, that's probably not supposed to be here. Well, you've brought it up on, on your Facebook page, and I believe you brought it up in your blog, that a lot of these people that you've dealt with have had um, inconsistent childhoods where they're always moving around and there's always things going on, and they're never yeah. in a place for very long. So yeah. with your that's background... That's exactly what happened to, take, to uh, Terry Lynn McClintic. Yeah, you brought, you brought up in that book as well. Um, with the background that you've had, is that is? Do you think that's what led you to go down the path that you're on with with talking to these people? Well, I tell people that that is the reason. Or in my amateur psychology degree here, I think that's the reason that I am able to, as you said, compartmentalize these people because I grew up. No one I knew growing up was not wanted by the police you know the people to me the police were the enemy they're gonna come and get you and take you away from your family and you know and um what we knew was you know my family my dad and his friends they were just trying to make a good life for us they were just trying to make a living you know that's the way we were taught Mm -hmm. so everybody that i was around was wanted by the law you know they everybody was running from the police sometimes we'd hook up with this friend for a couple weeks sometimes that friend would come live with us for a couple weeks sometimes we'd be in texas sometimes we'd be in indiana sometimes we'd be in tennessee but everybody was always running from the cops nobody wanted the police to show up and you know some of my dad's friends were murderers some bank robbers you know extortionists and they were my aunts and uncles and the people that took care of me so i'm able to see you know how a murderer can also be a kind person and Mm -hmm. you know so you know back to the question you asked me about families i did an article one time about how 
the families of the murderers are also victims because these people get ostracized. You know, they get yeah. shit on. People hate these people for doing nothing but knowing knowing someone that mm-hmm. you know happened to be in the family that d- did a heinous thing, and then you know that like you know poor old Ted Bundy's mother. Oh, she, she was dragged through the mud. Yes, oh, I she mean, was a good person. She was. <laughs> God. And it happens time and time again. And, you know, it's just people want to hate you if you're able to see the good in somebody else, even if it's a, a monster, so to say, you know. So, yeah, I think I think that had a lot to do with it. That's, I think that's why I can relate to these people on some level, because most of my childhood matches theirs. You know, a lot of my things that happened to me happened to them. So I'm like, yeah, I can see where you'd flip out and do that, but you know, well, I wouldn't have. But yeah, I was, I've, uh, me and Lobo were talking before the show. My life, I, I, my mom had a lot of drug problems. Me and Lobo, very often we've we've talked and we've made the comparison that me and him both rode on the same train, but we are on different side of the tracks. Um, uh-huh. My mom had a lot of drug issues. I moved around constantly i don't think i was ever i lived in one place for more than a couple of years you know i am in school i i never stayed in schools for very long i had two separate high schools um so i can relate with the fact of of not being able to establish my last three years of high school in the same place yeah we moved here when i was 16 and i've been in tennessee ever since then yeah i had i have two separate high schools i was in one high school for two years and another high school for another two years and i have two completely but very cool and full sets of memories from two separate high schools so in a weird way it's kind of like i lived two separate lives at the same time for lack of a better term i spent my freshman year in indianapolis at pike high school Mm -hmm. and then spent sophomore junior senior in manchester tennessee so yeah i feel you i still have friends from it is oh my god (laughs) i cannot even begin to tell you i thought i had i'd lost my mind and i was on the lsd trip i had no idea what was going on for a good year (laughs) having said all that though i've never wanted to kill anybody and i've never having said all that though i've never wanted to kill anybody and bury the bodies in my basement well, that's not necessarily right. true. I mean, you're not trying hard <laughs> enough. <laughs> that's that's not entirely true. But um, you know, I've I've never, I, I've never had a, a desire or urge to go down the path that some of these people have. So you know, it's right. just, I don't know. I, I guess don't know. some people tailspin out in different ways or one for whatever term. But um, that's. We are coming up on the hour mark, and what I, I do want to ask you about your uh, Crimes of Canada book, Taking Tory. Ah, um, yes. You know what? Lobo's got. I can already tell Lobo has far more questions than I do. Well, no, I just um, I, when I when I saw that you had written Crimes of Canada, the first person to pop into my mind is Luca Magnata. I did not write that one, but we do have an excellent book. I cannot recall right off the bat who wrote that one, but someone did write one about him. Yeah, that nut job. I can't believe he uh-uh, is. I don't even know. That is some insane shit right there. I mean, I mean, you get on the internet and you're killing kittens with vacuum cleaners and and, yeah, and I, that should have been a warning I, sick. He's going to move to people. Yep, yeah, right here in the set, guys. <laughs> oh. Well, tell me about. I wrote, um, take, tell me about Shirley Turner. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I wrote Shirley Turner, Doctor Stalker, Murderer, and then I wrote Taking Tory mm-hmm. for Crimes Canada. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't finish so, Taking Tori because it was a very disturbing book, and because I told I you that off that the air. Yeah, yeah, I've got two daughters, and the part in here where you're talking about how um, the girl, when she was eight years old, um, they finally allowed her for the first time to walk to school by herself, and that was when it happened, and the very first time that she walked to school. She was kidnapped yep. and brutally raped multiple times. These yep. people were just... There's such like we talk about a lot of stuff on here. We talk about aliens and UFOs and ghosts and all kinds of different stuff. None of that stuff bothers me because it's kind of out there. We don't really know for sure if it's real or not. But these people are real. People like this exist. These are monsters and they're all around us. And, you know, this stuff happens and can happen and, and does happen. And this is the stuff that really flips me out because this is real. Like, you know, these, these people. Do I have this. a school teacher here in town. He's, uh, his wife is principal to my son's school. He proofread the book for me and he gave me probably the best compliment I've ever had because it came from a teacher. He said he thinks the books should be required reading because it tells children just exactly, you know, what can happen. He thinks it should be in high schools. Yeah, this as kind it, of a, you know, warning. It's it's so distur- like this. Terry Lynn was that took a lot out of me too. I mean that that was really hard. How how did, to- how could you write a book? That's what I was going to go with this next. Is how how could you write a book like this without walking away from it, scarred? Because you know the basics of well, the sure. book is I think about this eighteen year old girl. I have a picture on my computer typed to the top of my computer. This, I think about her every single day. This girl, Terry Lynn, 18 years old, and her, her psychopathic, sexually deranged madman boyfriend kidnapped this Michael little 8-year-old girl. Yes, exactly. They kidnapped this 18-year-old mm-hmm. eight girl, and they say, yeah, but what was the line she used? I'm looking for a puppy. Can you help me find it? Which is, little kids love puppies, you know, right there. Yeah. Oh, dog? Yes. I don't, right. I don't care you're a stranger. You're looking for a dog. How adorable. And then right. they kidnap her, and they've and got her in the backseat. Yeah. yeah, well, they, they may, she may have known... Terry Lynn, you know, because there was some interaction where she'd been to the house before, so there's oh, okay. some speculation that she may have recognized her, but there's no proof of it. How 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 does this happen? How, well, let's go to how did you write about this and walk away from it? How I, I couldn't write, I couldn't finish reading it. I couldn't let, let alone imagine trying to write something like this. I don't know if I have walked away from it. Like you I said, will. I will. No, I I still I think about her all the time. Sometimes I see little girls, you know, and I'll say, "Oh, she, you know, she looks like, like Tori," and I always think about her forever. I cried and cried and cried and cried and cried over that little girl. I've got three girls of my own. Yeah, I would probably yeah, be the dad that would, after reading this, would freak out and decide to follow my kids everywhere with a gun for their own safety. You know, <laughs> I, guess I would write this, the rape scenes specifically. I would write. And then I would have to stop. Mm. And then I would write. And then I would have to stop. And then I would write. And then I would think, this cannot be true. I'm going to have to ask her. Because I just could not believe it. So I would ask her. And she would say, you know, it's true. That's what happened. I had a hard time getting her to cooperate. She did not want to cooperate. She did not want anybody thinking she made any money. She specifically wanted it said that she did not want any fame. She did not want anybody talking to her. She would not answer letters. And that was another thing that kind of made me feel good about writing the book in a way because, I mean, Tori's mom got victimized for doing nothing just because, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, she had a pill habit, but she was not 
neglectful mother. She didn't do anything to deserve, you know, she didn't screw up in any way for that to happen to Tori. Yeah, at some point as a parent, you so, have to let your kids go to, you know, to do these things. Yeah, you can't, you no, know. she did nothing wrong. And she was on the ball. People tried to say that she 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 was laying on the couch, you know, peeled out when, when Tori was supposed to come home. That was not true. That did not happen. There was so much innuendo about her. And that woman picked herself up. She became a doula. She is off the drugs. I mean, she made a really big comeback. And I just, I don't know. It just, that made me feel good to know that, you know, she was still doing that for Tori and helping other people have, have beautiful babies. And, you know, she cleaned herself up and didn't let it get her, didn't let it destroy her. Oh, I, 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 it would, it. yeah, it would ruin me. I, you got to believe that part of that was, you know, of what happened was probably a catalyst for her to become what she so. is now. I believe she said that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that yeah. she used it as some sort of a yeah catalyst to re- restart her life. I tried to get a hold of Michael Rafferty, and he wanted nothing to do with me. He had nothing to say to me, nothing whatsoever. After the book came out, some dude, I can't even remember his damn name, and thank God, because I wouldn't want to give him any publicity, but apparently I mentioned him in the book. Okay. Um, he, he emailed me and called me a bunch of names and told me how stupid I was and how all my information was wrong. And all I did was rehash some newspaper articles and that I mentioned him in the book and I didn't even get it right. And Michael's totally innocent. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. So I said, Hey buddy, um, all my information came from, you know, court transcripts and police interviews and Terry Lynn, so if Michael wanted to say something, he should have opened his mouth and said something when he had the damn chance. And he said, well, I'm so-and-so. I can't remember his name. And you got it all wrong. I said, I don't care. You, you really don't have shit to do with this. But I think he was like the guy that gave him a ride somewhere or some shit, you know. Mm-hmm. I was like, your 15 minutes of fame's over, buddy. I'm not mentioning Jesus. you again. Oh, what a dick bag. Mm-hmm. And then finally, he eventually apologized because I was like, dude, Michael didn't say nothing to me. Every bit of information I have, you can, if it's wrong, take it up with the police and the, you know, the city of Quebec because the, that's where I got my information. So up in you. He eventually said he was sorry and he was just upset and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't care. I'm, I'm upset too. Well, Canada's got the whole thing where like a life sentence up there is only like 30 years or something like that, correct? I don't know. I you know what? Something like that. I'm, yeah, it's not. They don't have. They don't do life sentences there. They don't. Only, only under extenuating circumstances, and even at that, it's only. They don't really give you a life sentence. They give you X amount of years, and then you're brought up, and they can continue to keep you there, but after a certain amount of time, they just can't keep you anymore. They don't, don't their their prison goes, system is not like ours. But I do know that Terry like tell me she will not get out ever. Yeah, again, under under certain circumstances, they can keep you, and it's not like here where they say you have life in prison or, you know, that they give you whatever. Yeah, yeah, they give three life sentences in a row or four or five. You know, you're going to be in for yeah. nine hundred years. That way, there's no way getting out. There, mm-hmm. it's twenty years or thirty years, and then. You can be brought up before a panel, and they could be like, "Well, considering what happened, no, you, they're going to tack it on again, and you'll come up in a few more years." And right. you, ostensibly, you can—you'll never get out, but right, right, right. it has to be certain circumstances for that to happen. You know, 
this is on the other subject, but Ro, you were saying you had moved around a lot too, right? Yeah, yeah, a lot. Yeah, quite a lot. Well, I, <laughs> when I ended, when I end, my eventually my dad got old, you know, and he, he was t- took some guns over state lines and did a bunch of time in prison. And my mother was pregnant, and so we were just kind of planted here. Mm-hmm. By the time he got out of prison, he was too old to be doing any more stupid shit. So we pretty much stuck here. And it's so funny, and, you know, maybe this also has something to do with why I turned out writing about this stuff, because this town that I live in is ridiculously small. I mean, I don't know how many people we have here, but it's a small little tiny town. And there is, like, a murder every freaking year. I'm not shitting you. Somebody dies. Somebody gets stabbed. It's every every you, you other year. You know I live by Detroit, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I live about an hour away from Nashville. Okay. So, like, <laughs> I live about guy, twenty minutes south, twenty-five minutes, twenty minutes south of Detroit. So, you know, I, my daughter went into the army a couple. Let's see, two thousand eleven. The uh, guy that recruited her into the army a year after she goes in the army, I see him on the front of the newspaper. He had uh, killed his girlfriend and cut up her two little boys. <sighs> So, yeah, I reached out to him, talked to him for a little while, and then we had, let's see, a lady uh, stage, her and her boyfriend staged the, uh, the murder of her new boyfriend, who was a music producer, and she had her husband come in and kill him, and then she ran out in the road in a bloody nightgown, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, well, then they figured out she had something to do with it and shagged ass to Florida, Oof. and they found her, brought her back. And then there was the case I was telling you guys about before. The Greg, my... the Greg Hale case, right? Right. Yeah. 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 yeah Lobo, yes, did you want to ask her about that or spill it? <laughs> what do you know? Oh. If you can talk, I mean, no pressure. I got in a lot of trouble for that. I had the police at my work. My phone got taken up. It well, was a mess. Well, who? Well, you. He, um, Go, tell us about tell us about the case though, Greg Hale, and tell us about who he was. Uh, Greg Hale was just a he went by Scotty Scott Hale. He was just a regular guy that beat around the block here, just a regular, you know, fella that lives here. And uh, one day he was at the liquor store and picked up a girl and took her home to his parents' garage where he lived, and um, strangled her and ate her heart. Whoa! Yeah, that was too. 2013, I think. And you knew him? Yes. We went to high school together. He lived with me for a while. He uh, was a very good friend of mine. Hmm. 2014. Was it 14? Yeah, June 8th. <laughs> yes, it was June 8th. Oh, God. I won't forget that. I had, uh, he had called me, you know, he was, he had trouble, he had a lot of friends. Especially now that he's in prison, everybody knew him. But when he was on the street, he was kind of an oddball, you know. And he, I don't know, all the way through high school, he was known as that, the devil worshiper. You know, he ran with the goth crowd. But all of my interaction with him never pointed to that. Like when we were alone or just partying around or having a beer on the porch, he wasn't about that shit. He was just a regular fucking dude, you know. We just hung out, barbecued. He he stayed at my house for a while. He got left his got kicked out of his girlfriend's house and couldn't go back to his parents' house. So he stayed at my house for about a summer. <clears throat> and wow. we got 
we spent a lot of time together. I mean, he, he I'm not going to say he wasn't weird because he was. He's fucking weird, but uh, <laughs> I just never well, expected. Well, <laughs> yeah. I never thought it. You know, no, even the weirdest person you know, even if they have sat in front of you and said some obnoxious shit, you really just don't fucking believe it when it happens. And it, people that knew him was like, oh, you knew it was going to happen. No, I did not. Well, honey, I really didn't think I he was going to do it. Uh, see, now... I have I have a checkered past to say the least, oh, and at, <laughs> at one point, um, before I got clean, I was at my psychiatrist at the time. I was in his office, and my I was eighteen at the time. I got clean when I was nineteen, so I was about eighteen years old, and I was sitting in there, and I did not want to be there. I was told I had to go. And I started rattling off all of this stuff that I had done in the past and had continued to do in perpetuity. And uh, he looks at me and goes, um, if you don't stop this behavior right now, and I mean stop this behavior right now, you will move on to human beings. And I was like, okay, uh, can we forget we had this conversation? Right. <laughs> and So there you have it. He was I, known for shit like that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't move on to humans. I mean, I'll be 42. It's been a while. I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen. The wife still asks me, you okay? Right. Everything good? <laughs> you know, you're a little too high strong right now. Which also, I think... Oh, that adds like, to it. We would get super close, you know, and spend yeah. every day together, all day together, hang out, bullshit. And then he would take off with the carnival and be gone for months and so i think that kind of kept us from getting super duper close you know what i mean mm -hmm. but not close you know not enough and the day he he was a really bad drug abuser and hung he lived in his parents garage and every day after work i'd go over there and hang out for a little while not every day but a lot of days i'd go over there and hang out and drink some beers with them and bullshit and we all knew the same people and we would gossip about this person or that person whatever but for like two weeks, he was having a lot of trouble with his mom. He's adopted, and his his adopted parents were super cool to him. I don't. They were just really strict, and you know he was thirty something living in the damn garage. So I imagine well, he's in the Bible Belt too. So I mean that's yeah. And that. yeah, it gave his mother all kinds of agenda about you know just the way he was in general because they're super respectful people. And here's Scott with his Megadeth T-shirt and holy <laughs> jeans and unlaced combat boots and fucking you know goatee with the rubber band in it, you know, just goofy shit. But he has been continuously, continuously, continuously bitching about his mother every fucking day, every fucking day. Then, you know, by the time I'd have to go home to my kids and family, he'd continue to get drunk. And then all night long, I'd be getting these texts about what he was going to do to her. And he was going to kill his mom. He was going to cut her head off. It kept getting worse and worse to the point where I was actually starting to get concerned about it. So, on the night it happens, my fiancé is from Minnesota, and he had friends coming in. So, we went to Nashville to eat this big swanky dinner, you know. We was going to blow it out and go down in the gulch and have a big time and blow money. So, I worked about a half a day, and Scott calls me. He says, I need a ride. I got dropped off. I need a, I'm walking down the road. Will you come get me, take me home? I said, yeah. So I went and got him. I picked him up. And I don't know why this memory sticks in my head, but he smelled like BO so fucking bad. Mm. So 
I rolled the window down and he said, made a comment about it. He said, I know I stink, but I've been walking, you know, and he starts bitching about whatever job it was he had and he didn't have enough money and da, 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 da. They didn't pay him enough, whatever. He was pissed. So we get up to his, near his house and there's par four market across the street from his road. And he says, stop in here. And I had to get his beer because he'd done shoplifted so much beer from there. They wouldn't let him back in the store. So I went in, got his beer, come back out, took him home, and I dropped him off at his house, and he gave me a big hug, and he said, I love you, you're my best friend I ever had, will you speak at my wake? And I said, oh, Scott, you'll be fine, you'll be okay, you know, just take five, and he said, can you come back and take me to the liquor store after I have a shower? I said, no, I gotta go to Nashville, don't do anything stupid, don't go to the liquor store, Scott. Mm. What did he do? Went to the fucking liquor store. So here I am in Nashville having dinner with my fiance and his buddies about halfway into the night and about a half a bottle of Chardonnay. I start getting these text messages. I'm going to do it. I'm not kidding this time. And then I get one like, I got her. I found one. Then he said, she likes my eyes. Ha ha ha. Uh, I'm going to do it. I got her to the house. I'm not kidding. I'm going to do it. I'm looking at all these messages as I'm eating dinner. And I keep, it's getting progressively, like, worse feeling. But, you know, I would had about a half a bottle of wine, and I, and it's Scott we're talking about. So I was like, whatever. He's been saying this shit since the dawn of humanity. So I didn't really believe him. But the more it went, like, the weirder the messages were getting. And I was like, uh, this, uh I just, uh. So the night ended, and we get in the car, and we're on the way home, and I tell my fiancé about it, and he he never really cared for Scott in the first place, of course, so he was like, that fucking crazy ass, whatever, blow, you know, blow him off. But it ate at me, and I thought, I knew he'd done something. So I went, when we got home, I texted him, and I said, what did you do? I've been with Steven all night like I told you I was. Why was you texting me, blowing my phone up? What the hell have you done? Where are you at? Nothing. I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning and he had texted me and said, I was just kidding, too much 151. And that saved my ass. I would be in jail with him probably if that he hadn't have sent that fucking message. So I went back, you know, I was like, well, stupid, what did you do? Quit drinking, you know, you drank too much. And then I didn't see him that day. I didn't talk to him the next day either. So Monday morning I get up. I think it was Monday. It could have been Sunday. I think it was Monday. I got up. And he had texted me, asked me if I had a backhoe. What? what? Oh, no. My boyfriend has a backhoe. Ugh. Well, he's always doing something. He's always building shit and digging fire pits and stuff. And I was like, yeah, we got a backhoe. But you're going to have to wait till I get off work. And he was like, well, when's that going to be? Can you take a half a day? I said, no, I can't. I, you know, I took a half a day Friday. I got to work all day. He said, well, will you come by here after work? Promise. Swear to God. I said, yes, I swear to God, I promise. Kelly, I'm not kidding. I really need you to come by here. I said, okay, gotcha. I'll be there. An hour later, breaking news comes on the fucking TV. Scott Hale arrested. Ate a bitch. I mean, I was like, oh my <laughs> God. Oh my God. He so, didn't just like, eat her, man. He hacked her to bits. So, yeah, he chopped her all to pieces. So, like, two hours after that, his mother shows up at my work. Just, like, tripping balls. You have to go see Scott. He wants you to go see him. Da, 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 da. So I go up to the jail to visit him. I'm not him. sure that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Ooh. I go to the jail to visit him, right? And there, there's glass at the county jail. With it, and I was like, Scott, what did you do? And he's pointing at the cameras, and then he points at the phone, like, don't talk. You know, like, I can't talk. And I'm like, just flabbergasted. And I'm like, what? Why did you really do this? Because people have accused every murder that happens in this town. They pick Scott up and go fucking talk to him and end up letting him go. It happened time and time again. So I thought, surely this didn't happen. I said, what did you do? Did you do it? And he nodded his head. And I said, did you eat her? And he put his fingers together like to make like an inch. Like, and oh, he, no. mouthed, he mouthed the words just a little bit. Oh. And, I was, and then he kind of like threw his hands up like, what the fuck? You know? And I knew right then I was like, oh, God. Game over, man. Oh, God. Oh, shit. Wow. And then I went back to work, and the police came. <laughs> they wanted my phone, and he looked at my phone, and he told me, the officer, he was like, da 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 da, da reading the messages, I got her here, I'm going to do this, I found one, da 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 and then when I said, what are you talking about? And he said, I'm just kidding. He said, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. I went and got a lawyer anyways, just in case. Yeah, I had a lawyer up at that point, too. I did, right then. And he so you really like, thought he was just screwing around when he sent you that, though? You didn't think he was serious? or I mean, was he known no, for making those jokes like that? or He's always making jokes like that, always. He he would tell people he'd done killed a bitch and, and buried her. and I mean, those are his words, what he mm. would say. And, like, he would, and nobody ever believed him. Nobody, you know, and he, and he never did. He was just known for saying outlandish shit and doing outlandish shit. And being a drunk and a and a drug addict and just always, you know, he was thirty something year old living in his parents' basement, but a garage. But he had these dreams of being on on TV. He wanted to um, be an actor. He wanted to be like on The Walking Dead, or something like that, and play play in horror movies. And every every fall they have haunted woods out here, and he would work the haunted woods and make his own little scene. And I would go out there and help him. He would like make tie me up to the wall and put blood all over me and act like he cut me in half and I had to scream when people walked by ah! and he acted all crazy ah! hmm. wow. but turned out he may have played that so well for a reason yeah. so about a year after he was arrested I'm, I'm considering whether I really need to say this or not. <laughs> I don't know if anybody really cares but about a year after he was arrested, he wrote me a letter and sent me the photos of her head in a bucket, oh. her hands, hands and feet in another bucket. And he said, since I'm going to be killed anyways, I'm going to die in this prison. I might as well tell you. And he said he killed three other girls while he was on the show, the carnival. And he described it to me and told me about it. I asked him a couple of a couple of days later if it was true and he said it was true but he couldn't remember the details so what details he did remember i looked up i tried and tried and i could not find any missing person cases and any anything matching those what he described so i wonder if he wasn't just you know did you forward that on to the police or anything i did because that's when shit was still going on really and i asked um I have a cousin who's a cop, and I asked his opinion, and he was like, uh, he's just bullshitting. And, you know, I was like, well, should I tell, you know, the lead officer? And he was like, yeah, pass it on. So I sent him an email, and I never heard anything back from it. So hmm. I don't know. Must not have been that important to him then. 
That's not. That's like I'm saying. That's what happened with Drew Peterson. I called the police, and they were like, "Yeah, pfft, he's full of shit." And I was like, he "But it sounds well. like they're making a deal." Well, look. Then I called like Inside Edition, and I was trying to get anybody to listen to this. Nobody would listen to it. They all kept saying, "Oh, you're just an inmate person. You believe anything." Well, damn, a week later, if it wasn't on the news, he got busted trying to bribe a fucking judge. And I was like, I told you. I told you. Nobody even wants to say nothing to me about it. And I was like, damn it. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, I mean, I understand there's a certain level of maybe it's earned arrogance which I, that's kind of like an oxymoron but right. yeah. they get to a point where like uh, what do you know you're not in law enforcement you're not in investigation you're exactly yeah but I anybody feel. can drop a dime they're out there talking to crackheads all the time looking for information that's exactly how i felt dude oh. and you know i wanted to mention this this is a whole other subject but i thought you'd get a kick out of it when you asked about the blog mm-hmm. one post they all get hundreds and hundreds of you know looks People, a couple hundred get, you know, on each post, they'll get a couple hundred looks. One of my posts on that blog got 10,000 and something posts and that was, uh, looks, and that was just the last time I looked at it. And it pissed so many people off. I got hate mail for days. I had to get people banned from Twitter for fucking calling me names. Why? And it's Casey Anthony. Oh, that's a hot button topic. <laughs> She, yeah, I don't know if we she, want to cover that here because that might take a while. <laughs> she wrote to me and said, I heard you write help women inmates, blah, blah, blah. She said, I don't really need no help. I have a lot of family. I get a lot of stuff, but there's some girls and we talked about it. And I said, well, would you be willing to answer some questions on my blog, reader questions? And she said, sure. So, but nothing about the case because she, you know, she's still in appeals and stuff, mm-hmm. which is par for the course. They always do that. So I put a blog post up and I put out some Twitter tweets and, you know, on my Facebook posts. And I said, does anybody have any non-case related questions for Casey Anthony? She wants to, you know, no, 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 no. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It was not Casey Anthony. It was Jody Arias. Oh, Jody Arias. (laughs) Oh, that's a little different. That's a little different. Yeah, it was Jody Arias. I'm sorry. My bad. I'm sorry. But um, we get. All these questions for Jody, right? She answers them, and it's fucking crazy shit. But it—that's what readers wanted to know. It was stuff really? like, um, "What do you do for fitness? What you know? How do you spend your time? Um, can you wear makeup in prison? Uh, what do you eat? Uh, you know, are you allowed to watch TV? Just basic questions that people would ask. But then they asked about her life, also, like her previous habits and where she went to school and what she want, you know, what her jobs were and what she aspired to be if, you know, shit like that. So I asked her the questions. She answered them pretty fully. I mean, big, long paragraphs. I put it all back on the, the blog. Oh my God. All night long. I had to shut everything off. Notifications to everything. I got beat to death. People calling me the stupidest bitch that ever lived. They were like, how is that? How is that stupid? I don't understand that. I read uh, some of them comments, dude. I mean, they wore me out. Yeah, but it's <laughs> false outrage. What? Why are they shooting at you? I don't. I don't get I don't it. No, I ended up having to get people blocked from all kind of social media for threats and name calling and all kind of 
shaming my big butt and little boobs and all just every kind of stuff. Just, and finally, it, I still, I still look at that post periodically, and sometimes I'll send a link out just to see if I can get more people pissed off. <laughs> oh my god! Well, you know what Cat Williams says: if you don't have any, enough haters, you need to go back and find some more or something like yeah, that. Right. Well, true. <laughs> god. Oh All right. God. Well, we've had you on here for about an hour and a half, so uh, I'm going to let you go in a second. But uh, this is the ch- this is the point where I give all of our guests a chance to promote what they're doing, where people can find your books, uh, give out your website, right. anything you want to put out there. Go right ahead. Okay. Well, my website is thewomancondemned.com, and it is all my interactions with women on death row and female criminals in general, and my interaction with what male criminals I know. My website is kellybanaski.com. You can find all my books there, my speaking engagements, which I do for free, by the way. Any book clubs, anything like that. I'll do Skype interviews. I'll come to you. Any of that stuff. I spoke at libraries, schools, all that stuff. Um, I write for R.J. Parker Publishing. And my new book, my latest book is Taking Tori, which we discussed. But my new one is coming out, I think, in September. It's called Voices from Death Row, and I speak to several death row inmates about life in general. We discussed, I discussed their case and then the how we met and what they have to say since they've been in prison. A lot of it is about prison reform, some about their cases, mostly life in prison. And that's about where you can find me. Facebook page? Facebook page, Woman Condemned. Okay. And you can follow me on Twitter. It's right like a mother. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I'm assuming all your books can be found on Amazon and, you know, all those That's right. Sites I have an Amazon page. Just Google me. You will find me. I'm also on Instagram. Cool. Kelly Benes. Well, Kelly. Kind Kelly. Um, you've been very interesting to talk to. Uh, you've probably been one of guys, the rawest guests I've ever had on the show. It was awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> the wettest guest? The, one of the rawest what? guests. Raw. Oh, true, I'm so real. sorry. Oh, no, no, it's fine. No, it's no, fine. no. That's that's a compliment. That's good. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just a southern bale, so, you know, I got to I keep up the tradition, y'all. I'm a blue blood, so no apologies. Well, hey, I hear you. Thank you for coming on here and talking. Oh, no No problem. problem. Thank you for coming on here and talking about all this stuff with us. And um, I guess giving us a different inside view of all of this kind of things. This has been been far wilder than I ever anticipated it would be. (laughs) I'm all squealy on the inside, so. (laughs) Well, I'll come back anytime. Thank you. We appreciate it. Take care. Take care. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. 
Hey, this is Nock from the Geek Yogurt Podcast. Tune in every week as we discuss movies, TV, comics, and video games. We are on Podbean, iTunes, Satchel, or on your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter at Yogurt Podcast and weigh in on our weekly topics. So, that was Kelly. That is not at all the interview that I expected to get whatsoever. And I tried. I'm happy with it. I know you are. Well, you were digging it. I, I was. I was telling you off the air that that should have been an episode of the Spark. I think you should have. I think you should have done that one on your own, just because it's more your element than mine. I'm going to be like I said when I when I read her book, I couldn't finish reading it because it was just too disturbing for me. And a lot of true crime is very disturbing for me. Yep. And, By um, nature, it is. I usually vet our guests really well before we have them on here. A lot of times I try to go out and find other interviews with them and stuff so we can get an idea of what we were getting into. And I really couldn't find any audio interviews with her. Um, I found text once, but mm-hmm. reading text interviews doesn't carry the same flavor and the same, you know, the same weight to it. So I really had no idea what we were getting into. And she's uh, she's very plain spoken, as if it's not obvious at this point. Yeah, which, she's raw. It's good. That's what I told her. I'm like, you are probably one of the rawest people we've ever talked to. She's like, I'm so sorry. And I like, no, no, don't, don't, don't apologize. I mean, she's a real person. She's not, you know, there's not a facade yeah. to her or anything. What you, what you hear is what you get. Um, it's refreshing. It's amazing that I'm, I'm really surprised she doesn't have more books out and more things than she has with the amount of experiences and people that she's talked to and Give things that she's been fir- firsthand involved with. Yeah. So, so I was just—I mean, some of the stuff she was saying, I'm like, wow, I can't—I can't believe we're we're getting this. And there was still stuff that we didn't talk about, even with her book, Taking Tori. We had said, um, you know, off the air, she said, I asked her, I said, this is a—it's a small book, it's not a big book, but it is the case, and it's in great. It's if you're into true crime, get the book, uh, Crimes Canada, Taking Tori. Um, it's very intense. It's a very intense, very for me, it was a very rough read. Um, and it puts it out there the way it is, but she said that it had to be short. They wouldn't let her put a lot of their stuff in it. So we said, well, do you want to discuss some of the stuff that wasn't in it? But we ended up getting all this other information out of her that we just couldn't keep going with it anymore because time constraints. But, um, yeah, she's an intense woman. <laughs> I would say so. I enjoyed talking to her. Well, I talked to her on Facebook. I have a lot of fun talking to her on Facebook. She's out there. She's very accessible. Obviously, she's very easy to get to. Mm-hmm. So, um that's the first true crime author we've ever had on the show, I think. I believe. Is it? Yeah, I think that is. I think that's the first true crime author we've had on here. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it I is. Because so. we haven't tapped true we haven't tapped true crime in a while because there's it's it's much like the paranormal and the things that we do. There's a million true crime shows out there. There's any number of true crime shows out there, and a lot of them do it a lot better than we do. And I wanted to get her on here to try to go into a different direction, as we try to do with all of this stuff. If we cover paranormal, we try to go into a different direction. When we interview people or when we cover topics, if it's just us screwing around and being squirrely, you know, fine. But when we do try to touch on other subjects, we try to go into different directions. And I think we did that with this show. I think we went off into different areas and gave people something to think about or get angry about or whatever. Please don't send us hate mail. <laughs> if you're going to send us hate mail, send it to her. We just had the guest on the show to say, here, talk about what you want to talk about. Because I did want to ask her about what her opinion on, on the death sentences, too, which I for completely forgot about towards the end of it. I, I wanted to ask her what she thought about the death sentence and how the death sentence should, should be handled and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But we ended up getting into so much more stuff with her that... You know, I just really didn't know which way to take it. 
So, anyways, um, jeez, um, yeah, I did a moving on. I did an appearance on Where Did the Road Go, and uh, we had a conversation on there. Was, since we didn't do a show last week, I posted a best of. I reposted the episode that we did about Pennsylvania Dutch hex magic uh, mm-hmm. with Daniel Harms, and it's it's really weird that. Um, the shows that we did a long time ago, you can tell, like, we reposted the Santa uh, the Santa Morte episode. And that one, even though we reposted it, that has gotten a tremendous amount of hits, even though it's an old episode. And the same thing with the Pennsylvania Dutch, he- Dutch Hex Magic episode. Anyways, I did an episode with on Soraya, Where the Road Go, and I did two shows. One of them is on our Patreon feed. The shows are related, but the first one was about um, religion in regards to practitioners of magic and religion. And it seems to have gone over really well. It was posted up in YouTube and a lot of people, it generated a lot of conversation. And there was somebody on there that said, I can't listen to Rojan. Every other word that comes out of his mouth is, uh, and, um, and <laughs> okay. it was, it really was. When I go on other shows, I don't do real well. When I'm on our show, it's not that big of a deal. Cause I'm very much at home and I can edit it and change everything. And it's for whatever whispers. reason that night, I was really, really, really nervous. And it was a, it's a very delicate topic to me to talk about religious, joke religions and things like that are a little bit different, but people that are serious about the religion and plus they're also practitioners of magic and things. And I was like, how do these things interact? So most of the episode, I was trying to not babble like a madman and not crack jokes and stuff. Cause apparently people over there people on where the road goes sometimes they don't get what we're they don't get me they don't they don't get our style and i get that that's fine so i was trying to be serious and i was trying to cover the topic but at the same time i was so self-conscious about what i was doing i was saying oh and um every other word and then i started drinking mead and by the end of the show i think i was doing much better because it mellowed me way the hell out then we stepped into liquid courage it's not so much courage it was just it was taking my mind off of everything that i was doing i i don't it's really like I don't, I'm not. I'm not sure how many more shows I'm going to go on anymore. Not because I'm a rock star or whatever. It's just when I do go on other shows. It's Hollywood, get it right. I never called you a rock star. <laughs> okay, you call me Hollywood. It's not because I'm trying to be Hollywood. It's the exact opposite. When I go on other people's shows, I am so incredibly self-conscious about what I'm doing. The worst one is the first time me and you were on Ben All of America and we were giggling idiots. It sounded like we smoked six bags of weed. But um, and I've never forgotten about that. But when I go on other people's shows, I'm so incredibly self-conscious about what I say and what I do. There's only a couple of shows that I'm really relaxed on, so I'm not sure how much I'm going to do it anymore because I've just become. Yeah, but you get better at it. What do you mean? The more I, practice you get, the better you get. How many at shows? It. Okay, it's been a. I've been on a lot of shows. Dude, there's a learning and then when curve. When I went on Where Did the Road Go, when I went on Where Did the Road Go, I'm the whole time I'm like, oh my god, I'm sounding like an idiot right now. And the more I tried not well, to, the more you I did. Stop focusing on what you think you sound like and maybe that'll stop but i think when we did the patreon episode we did a they everybody was on the show agreed to stay on afterwards and we recorded a patreon show one for us and also soraya released it on his on uh, where did the road go and it was about the use of of psychedelics uh, in regards to religious experiences or personal voyages and again i was like you guys are are claiming to be christian you practice magic what is the deal with using psychedelic drugs you know i, I myself would never want to use ayahuasca it sounds terrifying i'm not a, i'm not a person that gets high anyways you know it's it's i've you know me and you again both you both you know same train different sides of the tracks 
mm -hmm. both have seen that world from different angles, and it's not something that I'm anxious to jump into by any way, shape, or form. Even when I drink alcohol, I, I have I force myself. I have a point where I cut off. I say, okay, I'm done. I've had enough. I cannot drink anymore because I've reached the point where I'm so, again, so self-conscious of what I'm doing that I'm not comfortable drinking anymore. Mm -hmm. And it would be the same way with getting high. But these guys were talking about taking mushrooms and psychedelics versus psychotropics and all of these different things. And it was a pretty good episode. That one went on for about another hour and a half. I think by the time that episode rolled around, all of my inhibitions of saying uh, um, and uh, uh, and cracking stupid jokes at that point were pretty much washed out of me. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. People who listen to it, let me know. But um, I think you worry too much right. about what other people think. I do. It's weird. We'll get 300 people saying, wow, your show's really good. And then two people will be like, wow, you guys really suck. And I'll focus in entirely on those two people and go, why? Yep. Why do we suck? What's, you know, I understand that we have a different kind of show. And, you know, we've had a couple, like we had the one review that said you guys need to get your act together. You guys cuss and swear too much. And you make a lot of potty jokes and fart jokes and stuff. Well, yeah, there's Whatever. episodes that we do that. And we do have, you know, we've got a couple that are coming up. Our fast food one's going to be, is, isn't too far down the road from here. And I'm sure we're going to make complete total asses of ourselves on that one. But mm -hmm. that's sometimes that's just what we do. But, you know, it's the two people that go, hey, you guys really suck. You know, I, it's just not my thing. And I'll be like, why? You're, I'm curious. Why? Why? Why do we, why well, just don't find you funny? Okay. Did you learn anything on the show? Yes? No? Well, maybe. Mm. <laughs> trolls. I don't, don't know. feed the trolls. We don't get a lot of that. Um... But we did have, we have gotten a lot of new people. There's a bunch of new people that joined the Facebook page. There's, uh, I've gotten a few emails from a bunch of different people lately, which right now I am unable to access the Project Archivist email. My computer is acting really wiggy. I really wanted to send uh -oh. some shout outs to people this show. So I'm going to have to wait and send them out next show. Uh, mm -hmm. As far as the month of June, and then we're going to wrap this up. My daughter is graduating this year. My youngest daughter is graduating. So graduation graduation party um there's all kinds of weird things going on so i don't know entirely what the release schedule is going to be like for this month so pardon us if our release schedule is kind of wanky and weird i don't know how much stuff you've got going on for a little while oh, Mad busy. yeah i have i have recital uh what is it uh, we have father's day we have recital we have um not until July do we have another issue, and that's uh, nationals. So June's going to be wiggy for you as well. Yep. Yeah, we're going to have to sit down and figure out what Saturdays we're doing. And then I my my appearance on Almost Educational got knocked back. I think it's next Sunday. I'm not 100% positive when we're going to be talking about time travelers, which I went back and brushed up on all the stuff Jason Offit taught me. So um, it's nice. be coming Thanks, into heavy. Offit. Heavy rotation on that show. It's weird. Me and Offit have been talking back and forth because I am a brewer. He is a funny bastard. He is extremely. He funny. is a funny bastard. Did you did you get around to reading How to Kill Household Monsters yet? Did you? I've no? read quite a bit of it, and it is <laughs> hilarious. He's it a brewer as well. He brews he brews alcohol and beer and stuff as well. So lately, I've been talking with him behind the scenes. We've been comparing notes on brewing stuff. And I've actually got a batch brewing in here right now. I'm not sure if you hear it bubbling every once in a while. My my eight gallon mm -hmm. fermenter is literally sitting right next to me. I'm making a batch of uh, mm -hmm. of cherry vanilla stout. And even though you've been clean for 22 years, you can't have any of it. So, nope. you know, <laughs> well, there's a lot of things I can't have. Yes. Well, my beer isn't that great, so you're not missing a whole bunch. But anyways, no. um, 
Yeah, we're done. Um, not our, I, Are you free next Saturday? No? Yeah? What are is you? next Saturday? Uh, next Saturday is the 3rd? I don't know. Probably. We may or may not have so. a show. So we may or, uh, I think we're going to have a show next week. <laughs> uh, there's nothing on my calendar. I don't think there's anything on mine either, but I think the following week I may be booked up. I believe. So anyways, maybe we'll see uh, you guys next week. More than likely you will. The week after, I can't guarantee. So we might be dropping some best stuff here and there. So if you guys have a best of that you'd like to hear, people who have been with us for a while, let us know. We'll uh, pop I've in. I've actually place. had a couple of requests now that we're live here, uh, requesting that my Windigo episode go back into the feed. Uh, you I lost can, that, didn't you? No, I have it. The problem <laughs> is, is that I gave a lot of that stuff out to our Patreon people. Because a lot of that stuff is rare. Um, I will post that one back up, though. If people want to hear that one, I'll toss it back into the feed on one of the days that we're going to be off. But there's, a, like, all of the all of the Spark episodes that you did and, and some of the stuff that I did, a lot of the really off-the-wall rare stuff, um, I posted up for the Patreons. Because once we moved over the new server, I couldn't post all of the new shows over. And there was a few people out there that mailed me USB thumb drives, and I just gave them everything. I gave them all the appearances cool. that I had, all like the ones where you were on um, Paratopia and really off-the-wall interviews and stuff that I've saved over the years. There was a few people. It was like 16 gigs worth of stuff. I'm like, hey, you know, bug me on Facebook. Um, you know, get me a thumb drive, and I'll give you everything that we've got for the people out there who really want it. I've got no problem giving away the old stuff. But a lot of the stuff that the off, off the wall stuff, like uh, the old anomalous stuff that I did on the 13 skulls, which I talked to TJ last week, he's doing well. Um, I posted a lot of that stuff for our Patreon feed. So anything, because we, anything that I can give our Patreons extra, I try to. If I can, if there's any way I, I can find the time to give those people something, people who donate money to us or con- contribute to our Patreon page, I try to put it up there. Of which mm-hmm. I found out only 50% maybe of those people actually even listen to the stuff that I post up there. So of all the Patreons that I've got, I'm only sending stuff up there for like maybe 5% of the people. But, you know. <laughs> well, hey, whatever. Yeah, whatever, you know. Anyways, we're babbling. Uh, that's pretty much everything I think of right now. I was going to give a whole bunch of you people shout outs. And um, I just can't access the stuff to give you guys shout outs. So I will be giving everybody that's, you know, sent me emails and joined up on the Facebook page. Uh, Project Archivist, Facebook, find us, join our group, um, you know, watch the You're crazy not. stuff. You know, we've got a lot of lurkers. We've got a lot mm-hmm. of people who join and just sit back and watch the shenanigans and watch the crazy posts get posted up there on mm-hmm. a daily basis. Lots of strange, weird, wonderful, funny news gets posted in there. The Facebook page is a lot of fun. we got a good group in there, good people, um, no drama. You know, we do our best to police the drama in there. We don't really don't have that much in there anyway. So. No. No. Do you find the page and join us? Uh, find Project Archivist on Twitter. Follow us on there. I continuously post streams of weird, nonsensical, bizarre. We need news to on get there. an Instagram account. You're gonna have to run that because I have no idea what the Instagram says. I just barely handle Twitter. If it wasn't for TweetDeck, <laughs> I wouldn't be running Twitter. The only real reason right. I'm on social media, I'm gonna be 100 honest. I'm the only real reason I'm on social media is for the show. I'm there to mm-hmm. interact with people from the show to get interviews. The same thing with Twitter. I'm there to interact with people get people to listen to the show, find guests for the show. Um, if people, that's one of the reasons why I don't think we get a whole lot of email. We get some, but we don't get a whole lot is because me and you are very accessible out in social media. People can find us. We're not hard to find. I get friend requests from people all the time that I don't know who the hell they are. And they just friend me and I'm like, all right, whatever. If I piss them off, they'll leave. And then we get a lot of people that are on the Facebook page 
and we're very accessible. You know, people want to talk to us. People want to talk to you or me. We're very easy to find, and we talk to people directly all the time, which is why I don't think we get a whole lot of email on the show. Voicemails. Please send us some voicemails. You want to hear yourself on the air? Send us some voicemails. That'd be great. Uh, You know what? We dropped them. I I, I wanted to say something. Uh, Anybody who's not listening to them yet, uh, Hysteria 51. Oh, my God. (laughs) They're such a good show, and uh, I'm not a meat sack. I am the dark heart of Ultron. Fuck you, chatbot. No, it's conspiracy bot, the best. Or conspiracy bot. I got to call in and bitch him out for that. Rick. (laughs) Yeah. There's a whole syndicate of people that we're involved with on on Twitter, a whole group of shows and stuff. We're like some weird no, non-crime like, crime syndicate. There's like us, there's like uh there's um there's Harley from down at Travel Oddities, Hysteria yeah. 51, um Sword Knot Radio, uh God, how many of them are there? Um there's a, there's a crew. Secret Transmission is part of the crew that runs with us. Uh, the ectoplasm show they're in they're in our little shenanigans that we have going on behind the scenes Jesus, um, Kevin I gotta send a shout out to Kevin Th- there's there's all this stuff going on between all these shows there's all these inside jokes that we're always ribbing each other and <laughs> that, that conspiracy bot that just loves to, this relentlessly He's... screws with us <laughs> I, I actually the last what was it the last episode when they dropped HH Holmes I sent a message to uh, Brent Mm-hmm. Telling him how great the show, I think the great the show is, and then I asked him do me a favor, tell conspiracy bot to eat a bag of dicks. Kyle, Kyle's part of Kyle Anders. <laughs> Kyle, I love you, man. Kyle, Kyle, we'll post something on Twitter. We're we're really babbling here, but we'll post something up on on Twitter. We'll post our show on Twitter. Kyle will go out of his way to write us the most fantastic reviews of our shows. I need to have him just write the reviews of our shows and post our episode. Because he's working it, man. He's great. <laughs> All right, um, I'm done. I'm gonna call it good because I've I've got stuff that I got to do and I got to get to editing on this show. So right. uh, you know, that's it, folks. Take care. We'll talk to you again soon. Peace out from Detroit. Lobo from Connecticut. Remember, it's all true. Even the part about the car race and the lima beans. <laughs> I don't know. Bye bye. <laughs> bye.
right, we'll call that good. You're like Bob Saget. You just go with the most random Bob shit. Bob Saget. <laughs> it's like the end of America's Funniest Home Videos. It's like, this isn't yeah. funny, but I'm going to say shit anyways. So. That's right. Here you go. <laughs> Check it. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to bring that back hard. I, <laughs> I don't want anything from you hard. <laughs> well, that's not true. Billy. Yeah, but no, that's okay. Come on. We don't we, we don't care about hillbillies. Between Ellie May and like the chick from the Adams family, you know. <laughs> oh no. Oh. See now I part of my life growing up, we went every year we went down to Boone, North Carolina. So you sound normal to me. <laughs> cool. Alright, I'm gonna get it going here.